0: We're going to come to the Word right now, and then we're going to respond in some music worship for the remainder of our time after I'm finished preaching. And so we'll do it that way. So you're ready to do sermon right now? You're ready? You got that in you? Hope you have a Bible, because I'd love to have you have a Bible in front of you, electronic or otherwise, or there's ones underneath the seats in front of you. And uh, very quickly, let's put our hands out like this and pray one more time as a symbol of our receptivity. God, I just love this. I love this. This is the, you know, the one moment of my day when I lift my hands and put my palms up toward heaven, and I tell you that I long to hear from you. So come and speak, God. Speak for your servants are listening for you. We want to know what you have to say to us this morning. We don't want to miss your word, your truth, your encouragement, your correction, your red light, your green light, whatever you have for us, we want to hear it. And so we adopt this posture in faith that you will pour out from heaven all that we need from you in your word today that's your prayer, say amen. Amen. Well, you know, we're in the Summer in the Scriptures a s- series where we're reading, uh, we're s- this season we're reading through the New Testament together, and I hope that you're doing it, and I hope that you've taken us at our word, and you've jumped on board even if you haven't started it. And if it's another week, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I still haven't started it. It's just, that's so great, right? It's just such a mirror, like, how, how do I keep missing this? I know there's a handful of you who are like, this, like self- It's just shame when you realize, oh gosh, I didn't start again this week. New day, start tomorrow with us. You can pick up those yellow sheets in the back and read through the New Testament. But because of that, I wanted to do a sermon around the power of Scripture. And so let me read the text first. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this text was at the, I think it was like day one of our reading this week. this week. This week was 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Like it was just like a fire hose of New Testament teaching. But it's what we're doing. We're doing this overview, exposing ourselves to what it is in the, in the word of God. And, um, and I wanted to do a sermon about the power of the word of God as I ran across this on day one of my reading this week. 2 Corinthians 10, three through five. Says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a a powerful text, and I want to break it down and and teach through it a little bit in the pattern that we've been doing in our series here of of looking at meaning and then significance and then response. But first, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about my son. My son, I'm getting the privilege of watching become a man. Here's a picture of my son. Does that not look like a man? He's working at camp right now, so that's sort of the, you know, uh, the uniform, so we're going with kids at camps, we're going to high school camp, uh, high school and junior hires, and I speak to them. He's 19, and I, you know, we, I know those of you that have kids, and, and especially those of you men who have sons, it's a privilege to watch your, 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 your young boy become a man. And I started to watch that physically, and now he's like, Tommy's like 6'14 or something. He's just huge. He's just a huge human, he's big, and he's a, he's a man, and I watched it happen. But I watched, I was with him at camp a week ago because I got to speak for five days at this camp. And I watched him become a man spiritually. Here's a story I want to tell you. I'm speaking and I'm speaking to these high school kids every night and he's coming to me and he comes to me uh, with his Bible on day one and he goes, we're talking to kids. And and, and the, the topic that Tommy and I started talking about was how much kids are finding that their world is so hard their brokenness, their suffering, the bad things around them. Hard to find hope when you're 14 looking up at this world that we have, right? So this was kind of the topic we were talking about. And Tommy comes with his Bible to me and he goes, dude, I got some things for you to talk about tonight. He goes, you know what we were talking about? He goes, look what I ran across. And he opens up to Romans 8 and he goes, listen. He goes, Jeff, your dad, you're talking about our identity. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He goes, listen, but if indeed we share in his sufferings that we may also share in his glory. He goes, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our identity being in Christ, but part of our identity is that we'll share in the sufferings of Christ, this side of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. He goes, it's right there. And then he goes, and look on what it says. It says then in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He goes, dad, you got to tell him you got to tell them that even though there's suffering, and even though there's brokenness, and even though there's death, and even though there's sin, and even though everything's a mess, he goes, that there's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. Like, there's hope in Christ. you got to tell them. And I'm like, that is awesome. And he goes, and then I'm in, in Corinthians, and he goes, he goes over to uh, to uh, 2 Corinthians, he goes, and look at all the stuff that Paul, he goes to 2 Corinthians uh, 11, which tells of all Paul's, I don't know if you know this text, but it tells like of all of Paul's shipwrecks and lashing and going hungry. And, and three times I was beaten with the rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was, once I spent a night uh, at open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from bandits, and danger from my fellow Jews, in danger, and danger, you know, and he goes on and on, he goes, look what Paul went through, and he goes, and then look at what he says in the next chapter, he goes, he said, but... My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He goes, look what Paul's response was, Dad. That grace is gonna come when we're broken and when there's suffering and when there's loss. He goes... And then it goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Dad, you gotta tell them that even though they're struggling, even though there's weakness, that in their weakness, there's weakness and God allows that stuff because he's gonna show up on the other side of it and there's gonna be God power. There's gonna be strength in their lives. Dad, you gotta tell them. And he goes, and then I was in 2 Corinthians 4 four, a few chapters before that. And he goes, you got, you know, and, he, and he's got more in there. And, and he goes, therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul told them, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's like, dad, you got to tell him that the word promises, that this life's struggles are nothing compared to the glory that will happen when Jesus shows up and that they got to trust in him. My son is becoming a man. My son, and this is how I define it, he's a man who looks at the world and the realities and the issues and people's questions and all of our existence and he applies rightly the word of truth. That is spiritual maturity. And if you... I just choked on my spit. If you... Are you crying? Okay. If you don't remember anything else, except for the choking on the spit and Gina's sermon, if you don't remember anything else this morning, I want you to remember the analogy of the crazy boy who though what spiritual maturity is, is that they have... Learned to apply the truth of the Word of God to life as it exists for us on a daily basis. That's what maturity is, friends. And that's what this passage is about. That we, in the end, will take captive every thought and make it obedient to the truth of Jesus. The truth that is Jesus. The truth that is Jesus. Taking captive every thought. I want to break this down a little bit in the time that we have remaining. And I want to do the pattern that we've been doing. First, we're going to look at the meaning. And meaning is about what's in here. Like, what's just being said? What's, like, what's going on in this text? Like, let's just observe the people and the who's and the what's, and what's the point he's making? What's the, you know, what's sort of the, the content of the text? And part of that con- is the context. And I just want to tell you that the, the context is that Paul here is disagreeing with those people who think that it's okay to live and to act like everybody else. This is the context, because we know, and you can look through both of his letters, and you can see where he's got, Paul is fighting people who are sort of against him and disagreeing with him. And part of it is that he says, and he says it right in the verse before our text today, he says in verse 2, he's like, listen, there are some people who think that we ought to live according to the pattern of the world. We don't. So the context is Paul saying, I want to tell you, we don't live like everybody else. And the thesis, the summary of then of what he's going to say in these verses, is this next thing I want to give you. It is: we do battle. This is the way we we don't live like everybody else. We instead do battle against thinking and living like God is not in the picture. That's our battle: thinking and living and acting like God is not in the picture. Because that's the way everybody without Christ lives, right? That's why we have mercy and love and compassion for people who do not know the truth about Jesus is they live like God's not in the picture. And Paul's talking about people who say, you know what, as a church, we can just live like everybody else. We can think like everybody else. We'll just believe what everybody else believes. And Paul's like, no, we do not do that. In fact, we battle, we fight so that we will not live like God isn't in the picture. We do battle against thinking and living like God isn't in the picture because that's what's going to happen and that's what everybody else does. No, in fact, so if you shape it in the positive, we, we, we got to remember and live and think and act like God is, like God is. And that's the truth. This is the battle that we fight to stay in that place. And maturity, spiritual maturity is applying those truths that God is to our life. So this is the meaning. It's Paul saying, listen, we're not gonna act like everybody else. So we're gonna fight the battle to not live like God isn't in here the, the, you know, the way that has too many negatives. But you know what I'm saying? We gotta remember this. We're gonna fight that battle. So what are some principles that we're gonna draw out of this in order to say what's God saying? That's what he was saying to these Corinthians at this time. What, what, are, we, what are some principles that are timeless? And that's what we look at when we mean significance that we can pull out for our lives. There's the first one that comes up for me in the first part of these couple of verses. We live life and make choices and get wisdom, fight our battles. In other words, we do life differently than the world. We're different than the world. We're fundamentally different than the world. That's what the verse means. If you look at the verses, verses three and the beginning of verse four in our text, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That wage war is a positive, that's a great word. That's not a bad a battle word necessarily like kill and mayhem. That's a word like we live as soldiers. We live committed to the task. We live according to the cause. We, we, we use the word like, man, these are the battles I'm fighting to live with integrity and with nobility and, and to succeed. Like these are the things that, you know, this is the battle I'm fighting, right? To stay pure, right? In that sense. for so though we live in the world, we don't battle the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There's this contrast. Why? Because it's saying, because though we live in the world, and you may have the old King James rattling around in your head, those of you that grew up with the King James, that says, for though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war as the flesh doves. The weapons we fight with are not the weapon, are not carnal weapons. They're not fleshly weapons. They're not of the body. That's actually the the literal Greek is about the body. We live in the body. we We don't live according to the body. So if we don't live according to the flesh, you know this scripturally, we live according to the what? The Spirit, that's right. So we do not live fundamentally like everybody else. We are spiritual people who live according to the Spirit. And we don't get involved in the things that are just fleshly. We fight those battles. We do battle against thinking and living like God isn't in the picture. So we live according to the Spirit, where the Spirit prompts us with His truth about the reality that God is in the picture. So first point that he brings out of this that we gotta remember is, right, my life, my choices, my wisdom, my battles, my direction, my goals, my objectives, my, that is spiritual toward the truth of Christ. That's what I do. And that means that I don't get to live just the way everybody else lives, their values, their direction. We tend to to get on this slippery slope of just thinking, living, acting, attitudes, philosophies of just the way everybody else in the world thinks and lives. And friends, that's not us. We do not, even though we're in the flesh, we don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the spirit. Boom, higher calling right away, right? Like, okay, what do we do with this? So the text goes on. My second principle about it. The power of the truth of Christ sets us free. The power of the truth of Christ. There's power in the truth of Christ. All that the truth of Christ means. There's power in the truth of Christ and that sets us free. Look at the next part of the, of the uh, text and you'll see that, um, what I'm talking about there, where's my, so on the contrary, we don't live like the world does, on the con- and the weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world, right? So on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is what he's saying. We have this, the power of the truth of Christ sets us free. I want you to look at some of those words. We have divine power. That's what sets us apart, right? We have this presence of God in our lives. We have divine power. And that divine power breaks down fortresses, breaks open prisons, these are the kinds of, this is how you would uh, um, uh, uh, translate this word. This word, this word stronghold is like, it, you could translate it prison. So we have the power of God to unstick us when we're stuck and chained and bound and lost and broken. And st- You hear it? You hear it? Man, we don't wage wars the world does. We don't live the way the world does. We have this divine power to break down our walls, to break down, break us out of our prisons, to break our chains and set us free. Come on now, church. Anybody need to be free? Anybody need some help where you're stuck? Anybody stuck? Thank you, Todd. Todd and Annie are stuck. The rest of you are winners. That is awesome. (laughs) No, the weapons we fight with have divine power, the power of God to set us free, to break down strongholds. And it goes on to say we demolish arguments. That doesn't mean argue like, like, you know, nasty arguments, like um, uh, aggressive. That means, arguments means reasoning. And so what happens is we break down, we we reduce down to the ground um, reasoning, ways of thinking, philosophies. That's what pretensions are there in that. That means, that means, that means um, meta-narratives if, if you're a philosophy major. We break down all the kinds of reasonings and philosophies that everybody lives that ha- that, that where they live where God doesn't exist. See how it says, we, that, that has set itself up against the knowledge of God. We break down all that stuff. We have divine power to break ourselves out of the places we're in bondage, and we can see that the philosophies of the world, the way that people live where God doesn't exist, we can go, yeah, no, that's not true. And the truth of God can come in and set us free. We live according to a completely different way. And that way is foolish to some people because they go, you wait, you're trusting in God? What? You live according to a God that's going to need to come through for you? Your values are about sacrifice and about death to yourself and about giving and serving and loving and trust and waiting and just, really? But we have the power of God to take those other arguments and break out of being stuck in living the way everybody else lives. This is why we come and study the word of God. This is why we come to worship, to remind ourselves that the power of the truth of Christ sets us free. Jesus said in John 8, if you follow me, you're really my disciples. You come after me, you you hold to my teaching and come after me, you're really my disciples. And then you're gonna know the truth. And the truth, anybody know? will set you free. You hold to my teaching and come after me. You will know truth. And my truth sets you free. This is a word to all of us that have been stuck in the ways that everybody else thinks. Your past has a hold on you and you're stuck in how it's affected you and you will be forever. Your addictions, even though you've tried, or compulsions or however you want to talk about them, and hey, you've tried to break through and you've never been able to gain a step, you've come to just go, well, that's because it has power over me. Your broken relationships that you believe will never be healed. These are the agreements we make, the ways that we've been stuck, the big questions of life. I guess I'm never going to be successful. I won't be able to provide for my family. I guess I'm bad with money. I guess I'm not worth that, uh, the love of men or the love of women. The truth of Christ breaks down our prisons. And we're set free to believe God's truth about us. You get it? So we live our life and make choices and all that kind of stuff different than everybody else because it's by the Spirit. And that truth, that power sets us free. the last idea that I wanna talk about, this last significant principle, is so, in light of that, We capture all of our ways, all of our ways. We capture all of our ways, all of our thoughts. We capture it, and we imprison them under his truth, under his truth, under his authority, and under his power. That's that verse from the second half of verse five, the last part of the text that we read. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If the truth sets us free, then we take captive we capture all of our ways and all of our thinking and all of our philosophies and all of our tendencies and all of the agreements that we made and all the things we think are true. We capture those and we imprison them under the lordship of Jesus. We put them into the light. We put them underneath his throne. We compare them to his truth. We put them in front of the mirror of the revealed truth of God. And we go, what, what is this then, God, this way that I wanna live? I wanna live different than the world because I'm not just, they live without the knowledge of God. Like, why that's not us. And I need the power of you, God, to set me free, to heal me, to change me, to transform my life. So I'm going to take everything I got and I'm going to submit it to the truth of Jesus so that I know how to live, so I know what's true, so I know what's real. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Don't you love that? There's this play on words. There's this imprisoning play on words, right? It's just it's that we demolish these prisons. We can break out of prisons, but then we're going to imprison. We're going to capture all of our thoughts and all of our philosophies, and all of our feelings, and we're going to put them in front of Christ so we know what's true. Subject all that to truth so we can reject what's a lie and we can receive what is his truth. We're going to break out of prison and then imprison all of our thoughts. We're examining, we're testing our thinking against truth. 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul says, test everything, test it, and then hold on to what is good, what's true. Test everything, hold on to what is true. And, first, and, in, and, and in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13, he goes on to say, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Somebody once said the unexamined life is not worth living. Why? Because it's aimless. And for a believer in Christ, we're called to test ourselves and see whether how we live, how we think, how we make decisions, what our wisdom is, what we're agreeing with, what we're living living for, what our values are. We're called as believers in Christ to examine all of that under the truth of Jesus so we know how to live. Test yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. Are you living by faith? Are you in the faith of Jesus? Or is how you live, how you think, and how you act no different from somebody who doesn't even know Jesus? It's a high calling. We capture all of our ways and imprison them under this truth and his authority and his power. and His power. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to those significant truths? So a lot of responses. There's a lot of applications, right? I mean, there's a lot. There's almost an infinite number of applications to your life, your season right now from this word. But here's two I want to give you in light of the season that we're in together as a church in the scriptures. I want to focus it on God's revealed truth. And so two key questions I have for you. One, are you then becoming an expert in knowing God's revealed word, his truth? Are you becoming an expert in this? Because if we do not live the way everybody else does, but we live according to the spirit, and then we're supposed to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, then we gotta know what his truth is. And I can't, I can't, we know we're doing this series on just being in the scriptures, and I can't get away from the sort of dramatic response to this, which is, then I gotta know this truth inside out. Or how do I submit my life and my ways and my thoughts to to Jesus? You know, one of the interesting things about being at camp that I found in hanging out with teenagers, which I haven't done much in ministry in a long time, but meeting with kid after kid after kid after kid all week long when I went and spoke at this camp, was that I found that a lot of students have created God in their own image. Now, let me describe that to you because you may see yourself a little bit in it. They, their God is some mixture of Jesus and their dad and their crazy uncle and their favorite rock star, but it's not informed by the word of God. So they have made up this whole Christianity or God thing without submitting it to the word of truth. So I'm talking with students and realizing, well, you say the name Jesus, but you totally have this unbiblical life. Like you totally have a whole different, like, yeah, it's okay for me to sleep with my boyfriend. It's totally fine because he loves me and God's love. And I'm like, half of that's true. Like I, I, but there's a syncretism between the ways of the world and the ways of the word of God, and they've not submitted it to the truth. If we are going to be people who claim to know and receive the faith, the, 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 the um, salvation of Jesus through faith, then we got to become experts in God's word. The big picture, what's in here, what does it mean? And the small picture down to I've read, I'm reading the verses and I'm learning what it says and I can start to see how all the pieces connect and how all the dots align and I, I'm getting it. And I'm somebody who understands what God has said is true in his revealed word. I know I've said this before. Can you describe yourselves as an expert in God's word? I mean, if we define expert as, you know, top 5% of the nation, that's got to be you. Yeah, I'm seeing a couple people honestly going, yeah, no. That's got to be one of the responses. Man, do I know this thing? and I know I've said this before too, but the single most important thing I've ever done in my spiritual journey. I mean, mean, the thing that I think if somebody said, wow, how did you like, you know, you've been growing in the Lord for 30 years now. So what's the deal? Like, give me one piece of advice. If you only had one, what would it be? For me, I started memorizing scripture when I was in college. That has had the single most dramatic effect on keeping my head in the game. What is true taking captive every thought, make it obedient to the truth of Christ. Are you becoming an expert in it? And some of you this morning, you're like, this is not a super heavy thing. I'm just convicted that I love God. I love his word. I'm doing fine. But man, I got to know more of his truth. I, mean, I would love it if some of you had the conviction today to say, you know what, a year from now, I'd love to say, you know what characterizes me? I'm a man of God's word. I'm digging in. I'm a woman after god's truth hungry relentless i think that's who we need to be or we will end up in line with how everybody else lives thinks and acts believes the last one's very very similar of course and it is just are you becoming an expert in applying god's revealed word of truth are you becoming an expert in applying it? Because it's one thing to know stuff. In fact, we've probably all met people, some of you are carrying a lot of baggage and some wounds from people that you've met who are super knowledgeable and awfully obnoxious. Arrogant. Right? Knowledge puffeth up, King James said. But have we applied it? We've been people who have been diligent enough to not only become an expert in God's word and understanding it and knowing it, but in being the kind of person who has the spiritual disciplines in their life to live in quietness and submission, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak out of this truth and to put his power, his divine power in us to demolish those things that imprison us and to take away the lies that we've believed for so long and to lead us by his power into living out a good news gospel to everybody around us every day. I mean, that's an application task, my friends. You could read this 18 hours a day and be the biggest jerk in the room. But we submit ourselves. And that verse says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Not we take captive every thought and we line it up with the truth of Christ. We apply it. What does that look like in your life? To humbly submit yourself to the revealed word as you learn it and grow in it. We gotta be people of the word. Christianity always has been. I mean, even from the very beginning when the whole thing wasn't collected, they gathered around the stories they had of Jesus and then the scraps that they had and then the one or two books that they had and by God's grace, he shepherded this so we have this whole thing for us to know how to live and who to be and what his truth is. Are you experts in that?